When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, presented by Betches Media. This is an exploration of all pop culture, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. We're looking at you, Tom Sandoval. Folks, welcome to an all-new episode of So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is your pal, Ryan, and this is your Tuesday episode, and what an episode it shall be. We're going to do a bunch of pop culture stories. We'll do a little bit of what we call the Bailey Mail, kind of my ripoff of the Daily Mail, which will do uh, a lot of pop culture stories, and I'll tell you what to watch this week, or just some light suggestions, and then we'll get to our guest. And today's guest, I just, I love her so much. You might know her from her insanely, I'm talking insanely good podcast, Be There in Five, but what you might not know is that she has a book out today called One in a Millennial on Friendship, Feelings, Fangirls, and Fitting in, the one, the only Kate Kennedy. I can't tell you how much I look up to Kate Kennedy. I just think she is one of the best to do it. And it just shows you how many unique people there are out there with brilliant minds. And this book and Kate, a lot of the times, will kind of hone in on a pop culture moment that, uh, you know, is so insignificant to, you know, some people, but so significant to us. And I think, you know, focusing on some of these moments, it gives us this kind of greater truth about all of us. I, I just can't say enough good things about Kate Kennedy and enough good things about her book. This was my first book I read in 2024. Now, I started it in 2023, but then I waited to finish it in 2024 just because I'm a weirdo with lists and I keep a list of like every book, every movie, every album I listen to. So I wanted to get one, like I wanted to get the first book of the year. That's an important book. You know, you always want that first book to be something good, a banger. And this book is a banger. So I highly recommend everybody going to get it. She'll be here uh, in a second, but remember, there are timestamps, so if you want to skip right to Kay Kennedy, you are more than welcome to do that, and then come back and listen to the rest of this, okay? Are you good? Was it a gentle re-entry to the week? It is so rainy here in Los Angeles. I've always said this about the rain. I've always said this so much on this show in particular. The rain is wonderful. The rain is can be amazing. It 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 can be very cleansing, but you have to be 
in the right, you have to be strong for rain. Because if you are already kind of in a depressive state, the rain can drag you down even deeper, right? But sometimes if you're in like a really great mental state, the rain is just this beautiful addition where you can put on some sad bastard music and just really get into the rain. So I don't know. Which one are you guys? Are you, are you, are are you like where it's like, ah, the rain too much, too sad, need sun all the time. Or do you really get into the rain? I'm a mixture of both. It depends on where I'm at. Also, I know we can't choose when the rain comes, but I always think the weekend is sometimes the best time for rain because you can really appreciate it. You know, you really slow down to appreciate that you can't leave your house. Also, I remember you know, we're coming up on a year anniversary of Scandaval starting. And uh, I remember it was rainy in Los Angeles. It was rain. And I was like, uh, this, oh, the sea has been wild today. The news have broken about Tom Sandoval and the rain is coming down. I just remember it feeling very into the world, right? Ugh, ugh. Anyways, January 30th, season 11 of Vanderpump Rules. Is everybody ready? Are you going to all listen to me have another mental breakdown, potentially covering a season of Real Housewives? Not Real Housewives of Vanderpump Rules. It should be called Real Housewives of Vanderpump Rules. I feel like all Bravo showed, like Real Housewives of Below Deck. Just We just need to keep Real Housewives in every, every title on Bravo. I watched um, Below Deck Med tonight. Uh <sighs> It was a really long season. I felt like the season lasted like a, like a leap year. I felt like it lasted potentially two years. Kind of, you know, Below Deck is one of those shows. It's just good to have on in the background. It's always good in some sense. There have been other seasons that have been stronger than this season. This kind of ended in kind of a big ball of a mess. Natalia kind of came back at the last minute. Captain Sandy kind of doing her normal captain sandy thing kyle i mean kyle cried tonight because natalia came back and kyle was like it's just my stress is coming out of my eyeballs that's what these tears are it's stress coming out of my eyeball it's a horrible kyle imitation but this season is over i don't even think they're gonna do a reunion for this season of below deck even though it lasted 83 episodes or something like that but we did it we got through another season and then tonight Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. We are finishing. Now, my buddy Mark told me that there is going to be a never before, like, you know, secrets revealed fourth episode next Tuesday. I don't know if that is true or not. I did not hear that. So take that with a grain of salt. And I kind of just, I I just want to, I, I just want to get out of the season. Now, if you didn't want to listen to the pop culture roundup today, I suggest you listen to it because I give you a little dirt about Salt Lake City casting from a pretty good source about two new cast members joining the Salt Lake City cast. So it'll be exciting to see if I am proven right once again, or I am wrong. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, So today is a big day because the Oscar nominations, by the time you listen to this, the Oscar nominations will be out for 2024. And I don't believe the ceremony takes place until March. So now, you know, Hollywood movie companies will be campaigning for these films uh, and all the nominees. And you'll be going to hit with a glut of see this movie, see this movie. So we'll get those nominations. I'll talk about those more probably on Wednesday's episode. I'm excited to see what they are. Will Zac Efron get a surprise nomination 
for the Iron Claw. There is a big last minute push for him. And I'm excited to see if the Academy comes through for Zach. I would love to see a nomination for Zach Efron. I think that would be a real true coming of age story for Zach Efron and all of us to watch our our uh, our high school musical boy grow up fully and get an Oscar nomination. That would be so cool. And now this is a pop culture rewind. This is a so bad it's good pop culture rewind moment because today is the anniversary of a very important event, I think, in all of our lives, <laughs> truly all of our lives. Now, this was wild. This, this, this happened 10 years ago today because January 23, 23rd, 2014, Justin Bieber got a DUI arrest in Miami. And you know exactly, I think if you're listening to this, you can picture the Justin Bieber mugshot. I have been fascinated with the Justin Bieber mugshot since the day it came out. In fact, uh, I had a t-shirt made with the Justin Bieber mugshot that I would wear to Coachella every year. Like I became the weirdo that wore a Justin Bieber mugshot. In fact, I posted on my Instagram tonight, so go check it out. I posted it, but I will tell you, it was one of my favorite shirts of all time because it was a shirt. It was a t-shirt that always brought people together. You know, you'd, you'd be walking across the field at Coachella and people be like, Bieber, oh, all right, man. Like it, it, it brought joy. It brought joy to thousands. It brought joy to thousands. But this was an actual, a very serious thing. Um, and I'm reading from an article on the seventh anniversary of this, of Justin Bieber talking about this, but yeah, he was 19 years old at the time and he was arrested on suspicion of drunk driving, drag racing, driving without a valid license and resisting arrest after police pulled him over on a residential street in Miami. Now, tests later showed that he had Xanax and marijuana in his system. And although his alcohol level, it was under the legal limit, um, there was a video that showed him taking a sobriety test and doing push-ups. There was a weird video out there. And in his mugshot, he appears to have this kind of shit-eating grin on, and he's in like, like an orange jumpsuit. But anyways, this is from a uh, seventh anniversary that Justin posted a shot of this on Instagram. And he said, seven years ago today, I got, I got arrested. Not my finest hour. Um, not proud of where I was at in my life, I was hurting, unhappy, confused, angry, misled, misunderstood, and angry at God. I also wore too much leather for someone in Miami. <laughs> That's a really important detail, Justin. Uh, he continues, all this to say God has brought me a long way. From then till now, I do realize something. God was as close to me then as he is right now. Now, this was a big moment. I remember this in pop culture because... You know, the, it was watching this kid become kind of this boy to man, but we've seen this in pop culture so many times and we, we get nervous when we see these things because celebrity, and especially if your kid has got to really mess with your head. I mean, think about it. Think about the Lindsay Lohans, you know, think about Paris Hilton struggles, think about Britney Spears and then Justin Bieber. We saw this happen and we've been down that road before. So I know a lot of people were like, oh shit, he's like, he's like going that way. And, you know, he worked really hard and Justin's gone through a lot of battles. Uh, you know, he's, you know, will will schedule full tours and not, not be able to complete them. He's canceled a lot of tour dates over the years, but I got to imagine 
having that much success at a young age has got to truly mess with your head. And I'm just glad he kind of didn't go down that same road that we've watched a lot of young stars do. Now, a lot of them just don't make it out. I mean, it's so great. Lindsay Lohan showing up to like the Mean Girls premiere and doing the little cameo in the movie and seeing how great she is. And she's now a mom and it makes your heart feel good. Right. Um, But there are so many examples of young stars that did not go that way, that were not able to kind of pull it out and be able to lead, you know, just fulfilling lives in a sense, because it is a lot of weird pressure to be a celebrity in America. Um, So this was a very important moment. Just think about think about 10 years ago today when you heard about this. I believe this is a pop culture moment that everybody heard about it. It was covered on national news. His mugshot was posted everywhere. And uh, so today, Justin Bieber, we speak your name here at So Bad It's Good. We are glad you are happy, healthy, and thriving, and you consistently hang out with Haley Bieber 24-7, which is probably a pretty good deal, right? Like, how many... <laughs> poor Justin Bieber. He just hangs out with Haley Bieber, who also is considered one of the most beautiful women in the world, and then he always has to hang out with Kendall Jenner. You always see Kendall hanging out with Haley, and I just wonder if Justin ever is just like, oh, God, Kendall again? Are you kidding me? Come on. Can't we get any new people in this friend group? Oh, God. I pissed off the Instagram gods again. Uh, I'm shadow banned. So if if you're not seeing my posts, go interact with them or set an alert or something. I must have posted something that upset somebody and... So fun. Social media, isn't it? Good time. Good times. Great oldies. Also, uh, if you like this podcast and the insane amount of work that goes into it, please leave it a five star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you want to uh, support even further, go to patreon.com forward slash so bad. It's good. Me and Meditza Lopez, we did an hour and 45 minute podcast episode this weekend where we talk about everything we call it shooting the shit because we never have a plan for them we just go and we talked a lot about the traders we talked a lot about personal lives we talked a lot about everything so if that's your jam you can go on over there and listen to it because it will never be released on the main feed that sounds like a threat that sounds like a weird threat there's a lot there's over like god how many episodes are over there now that have not hit the main feed? I mean, we're talking hundreds upon hundreds over there now. So go check that out if you if you want to do that, if you want something a little extra. And uh, God, we got so many. I got two interviews tomorrow. I got interview. I was on a podcast today called Fixing Famous People, and that was a boatload of fun. And uh, it has just been kind of go, go, go. Uh, but let's get back to the, the Bailey Mail. Let's do some pop culture stories. Now, this is great, actually. Uh, if you're into music festivals like I am now, this is a blast from the past in terms of kind of my favorite type of music and the type of music that Coachella, which we just talked about in terms of Justin Bieber, how it kind of was Coachella's bread and butter for a time. Like the, the state of music, it used to be where alternative rock and alternative music were kind of like the shit about 10 years ago. And now that has kind of disappeared from the Coachella lineup, it has gone way more pop. K-pop, all of these kind of different types of music. And I don't hate against any of that, but I do miss the old days. Well, there is a music festival. I think this is the third annual. It's called Just Like Heaven. It's going to be Saturday, May 18th in Pasadena by the Rose Bowl. But this is the lineup for this. This is just one day event is the Postal Service. Come on, the Postal Service. Are you kidding me? You have Death Cab for Cutie. You have Phoenix. I love Phoenix. Oh my God. 
Wolfgang Amid- uh, uh, Wolfgang, no, Wolfgang Amadeus. Well, <laughs> having a stroke. The album is called Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix by Phoenix, and it is one of the best pop rock albums of all time. If you are in a bummer mood, put this album on and it will put a little bounce in your step. They're playing the war on drugs is playing who I love Mike snow. Oh my God. People forget about Mike snow. Amazing. Uh, passion pit, another band, all these two door cinema club, fanogram metric, broken social scene, Tegan and Sarah sleigh bells, I mean, you guys, this is just this is just an amazing lineup for the type of music that I grew up loving. And I think a lot of you might have grown up loving, but then you compare it to the Coachella lineup, which finally came out last week, and I was completely under underwhelmed. And I think what it is is just that, you know, we get older. It passes you by. Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I gotta tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, I hope somebody saw this lineup and was like, I hope kids saw this lineup and lost their shit. I hope they love this lineup as much as anything out there because it just did very little for me. And I've been to what 14 Coachella's in my lifetime. And I, I don't know if I'll ever go back at this point, but this is the, the lineup. Now, Lana Del Rey's headlining Friday, Lana Del Rey. Amazing. Now that's great, right? Tyler, the creator on Saturday. Now kids love Tyler, the creator. I don't have that much experience with him. Listen to his albums. It just has never reached me the way that I know it reaches a lot of people. And then your Sunday headliner is Doja Cat. Now Doja Cat played Coachella two years ago and I was there. She played, I believe on a Sunday night, uh, main stage set, but not headlining. And now she is headlining. And Doja is another one that I just, I mean, she's good at what she does, but it just doesn't do anything for me in particular. And then you have a lot of artists like Peso Pluma, huge, huge little Uzi Vert. Uh, I just don't, you know, these don't speak to me. Now, Justice, Justice is uh, a DJ, uh, a DJ group, two guys. They're amazing. Love Justice. So that would be cool. 
Um, you got Sabrina Carpenter. You know, she opened for Taylor Swift, supposedly da- dating Barry Keoghan right now, the actor. Uh, you have Blur, which is Damon Alburn's band, uh, you know, British British pop punk, uh, and Damien Alborn went on then to form the Gorillas, but Blur is back. You have Ice Spice, you know, popular right now. Gasoffelstein, uh, DJ, amazing, but okay. Jungle, I, li- I like the band Jungle, great. You have Grimes, and now Grimes. I used to like Grimes, and then now she's just kind of Elon Musk's SX to me. So, you know, whatever. And then Jay Balvin, he was huge. Uh, Karungabin. Now this band Karungabin, I think is very special. It's a three piece band. It's mainly instrumental, but it is just so it's full of soul and fun. I, I love Karungabin, uh, little Yachty, DJ snake, uh, Renee rap, who is huge. The lead in the mean girls movie was the musical guest on SNL this past week. And then I guess the big, the big surprise was they are having a reunited, no doubt, with Win Stefani in the band. They have not performed live for 10 years or close to 10 years. So it is a reunion. And also, this is a Southern California band. So the fact that they're headlining or actually, you know, one of the headliners of Coachella is really amazing. And they would be fun to see, but none of it's really... It's just one of those lineups that did not speak to me at all. It did not, but I hope it speaks to people out there in some sense. It just didn't do that to me. Did it do anything for you? Um, I don't know. It's just one of those, another sign, unfortunately, of getting older where you're like, damn, I used to wait for this lineup every year. I used to, you know, guess who was going to be on it. I would, I would troll, I'm not troll. I would scroll the message boards. I mean, I was so heavy into trying to figure out what the Coachella lineup was going to be every year. I don't know. But anyway, Doja Cat, who is headlining uh, Sunday nights. Also, I think Lana Del Rey would be a better Sunday headliner than a Friday. Because Friday, you want something to start the weekend. And Lana Del Rey has this kind of vibe and this mood that is more mellow and more kind of like a closing night set, I believe. But whatever. But speaking of Doja Cat, she was in the news for a very bad reason this past week. Now, this is a headline from TMZ. Doja Cat. Her brother allegedly knocked out her teeth, so claims their mother. Now, uh, supposedly the mother is saying that the brother has been physically and verbally uh, abusive. And this mother uh, filed court docs uh, that were acquired by TMZ. Doja's mom, Deborah Elizabeth Sawyer, filed for a temporary restraining order against her 30-year-old son, Raman Delamini. And in her filing, she made these accusations. Um, says that Doja needs protection from Raman, uh, and that Doja's brother had her teeth knocked out by the son. And Doja's mom also alleges that the son has given Doja cuts and bruises and destroyed and stolen some of Doja's property. In the docs, Doja's mother claims he is also verbally abusive towards his sister, quote, in a very degrading and demeaning manner. I was like, oh my God, just get on the internet. And she says, Raman has made Doja feel unsafe and traumatized. As for her own safety, Doja's mom alleges Raman physically abused her and threatened her multiple times over the past year, claiming the most recent incident happened earlier this month. Now, the judge granted Doja's mom's court-ordered protection from Raman pending a hearing for a permanent restraining order, but did not grant that same protection for Doja Cat. Instead, saying the artist would need to file her own request for a restraining order, which she still has not done. 
Now, it is also worth mentioning that Doja's mom says she had a restraining order against her son in the past, but it has since expired. Now, we have not gotten an official statement from Doja Cat, but this came out the same week that she was announced as a headliner for Coachella. Now, for a musical artist, that's a pretty big, like... That's a pretty big thing to get to headline Coachella. And it's unfortunate this came out in the same week. And we still, like I said, do not have a response from Doja Cat to kind of uh, clear up any of the confusion or to actually say, yes, my brother is very dangerous. I'm very scared of him and he needs to be kept at a far distance from me. So we'll keep an eye on, uh, on that. It sounds like a horrible situation. And that's what I'm saying. Even with celebrities, we just talked about Justin Bieber, DUI, this, you know, it's like, man, everybody goes through things, you know, celebrities are not the aspirational beings that I think some of us thought they, you you know, like back in the day when I was a kid, I thought everything, oh my God, just to be a celebrity, just to be, just to have money, to be able to buy whatever you want. Oh my God. Could you imagine? And it's just not the case. I mean, everybody has a story as Danny Pellegrino uh, says, I mean, Kathy Lee Gifford said it first, but then. Danny says it better. <laughs> and uh, here is some quick uh, pop culture hits. Uh, pop culture hits for you guys. Wizards of Waverly Place, a sequel has been ordered and they are going to be reuniting for a sequel pilot for the Disney Channel. And Selena Gomez and the other actor, David Henri, are set to return. Now, Selena Gomez was one of the original stars of Wizards of Waverly Place. And uh, her small screen sibling was David And Gomez will guest star in the pilot for the Disney Channel as the character that helped launch her career. And Alex Russo is going to reprise his role. He is joined by new cast members, Janice Leanne Brown, Alcayo Teal, and Mimi Giannopoulos. Um, the, the revival pilot comes from the writers and executive producers who are behind another Disney Channel comedy spinoff, Raven's Home. Guys, I have no clue what Raven's Home is, but it sounds like a Disney Channel show. Now, it picks up after a mysterious incident at WizTech where an adult Justin Russo has left his wizard powers behind, opting for a normal human life with his wife and two sons. That's what you do when, when you're a wizard. You, you grow out of it. Uh, but he gets a surprise when a powerful young wizard in need of training shows up at his door and Justin must embrace his past to ensure the future of Wizard World. The powerful young wizard, Billy, whom Justin takes under his wing, will be portrayed by. Anyway, so this is a spinoff. You know, this is one of those things, though. Yeah, I always hate when they do this and they tease like, you know, the, the show that you loved as a kid or a young adult. It's coming back and they have the, the old cast involved and then the old cast comes back and they're in like one scene. Do you remember all you 90210 heads out there? Beverly Hills 90210 is, to me, the holy grail of teen hour-long dramas. To me, Beverly Hills 90210 was it. Jason Priestley, Shannon Doherty, Luke Perry, Ian Ziering. Are you kidding me? Jenny Garth, Tori Spelling, Brian Austin Green. That is the dream team of teen dramas for me. And then it went away. And then remember, it was like the CW, they rebooted it and it was Beverly Hills, not BH 90210. And they had some of the old cast members. They had Tori Spelling and Jenny Garth. And I was like, oh my God, it's going to be amazing. And then I, I didn't give a shit about focusing on new characters. I didn't care. I wanted to see my old favorites. 
And then they just got relegated to being like teachers at the school. It was so sad. And I was like, wait a sec. No, this is not what I fell in love with this 90210 show. I don't want to meet. I am now an old man and I am not up for meeting new characters. No, I want my old characters. I hate when TV shows do that. So we'll have to keep an eye out. But my prediction is that Selena Gomez is not going to be in this show a great deal. Now, okay, moving on to more concerts. Madonna, this is this is interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see what comes of this case. Madonna was sued this past week by fans in New York over a late concert start time. Now, this, the start of the show was meant to start at like 8.30 p.m., And it ended up starting two hours late and ended around one in the morning. And the, 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 the guys suing said they would not have paid for tickets if they had known it was going to finish so late. Now they are suing promoter live nation and the venue Barclays center for false advertising, negligent misrepresentation, unfair and deceptive trade practices. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if this even gets to court, but this was a big thing. Madonna actually came out super, super over two hours late. I had friends at that New York show. Funny enough though, Madonna is, was playing in New York tonight and she started on time, you know, like, so they can't go. She continues to do it started on time. But, uh, I mean, I remember back in the day, remember guns and roses when they were like a huge mega touring act. I remember Axl Rose, he would be like three hours late. He would just be backstage chilling. And it's like, it is wild. And it's an, I feel like the overall theme of this show is just getting older now, but it is one of those things. If you show up, I mean, I always try to get the venue set times because yeah, I'm one of those people that I don't want to be hanging out at the venue buying $22 warm piss, like lukewarm drop up, you know, that are overpriced waiting for my favorite band or, you know, singer to come on. And I would be a little tick, but Madonna's a legend. So what is that for you? How long do you wait past the start time for a show? Two hours is truly, truly pushing it, but it's Madonna. You're a legend. You can kind of get away with that, but do you really want to do that to your fan base? And how much can you do that? And the thing is though, you know, even like why not just tell people you're going to be two hours late? And the thing is, she I would just always be scared that she's going to say she's going to be late. And then I show up late and she starts early that night. It just really messes with your fans. But if we're allowed to sue performers for being late, I mean, I think we could all be potentially rich. We are a very litigious society. We will. Um, okay, Jeremy Allen White, our favorite actor from FX is the bear who just won his second Emmy for best actor. Um, he is dating Rosalia. He is dating, uh, this amazing singer. Uh, they have been seen kissing again this past week in Los Angeles. now we have, we've had a couple different sets of paparazzi sets of catching them kissing. It always looks like it's in an alleyway at night and they're both like smoking cigarettes. They're not even vaping. They're old schooling it. They're smoking, you know, hardcore cigarettes and like kissing at the same time. It's very, it's very Los Angeles, you guys. Uh, but this has got to be a bummer because everybody loves Jeremy Allen White right now, like so much because of the Calvin Klein undie, you know, ads. And uh, Rosalia, Rosalia, I don't know if I'm saying her name right. I've seen her perform at Coachella once and she is just truly amazing. I wonder if that's just that much pressure on her when you're, you know, the guy you're dating all of a sudden 
pops up in a Calvin Klein underwear ad and everybody literally has boners for him. Like, is that like, is that intense when everybody all of a sudden has a crush on your crush? I just got to imagine that's got to be pretty intense, especially when you're beginning a relationship. Um, Okay. Let's see here. Oh, this is another interesting one in terms of uh, the world is going crazy guys. Mia goth. Do you know, actress Mia goth? She, uh, She's an actor, by the way. She's also, she has a child with Shia LaBeouf and they're together. But Mia Goth is uh, known for the horror film Pearl, uh, also the horror film X. That's also in the same group of horror films. She plays the same character. And they're actually making a third film in that franchise right now. But uh, I guess an extra, you know, like a movie background extra is suing Mia Goth, saying that she kicked him in the head during a scene. So I guess this was just an extra and things got physical last year when they were shooting late at night. The background actor says the scene called for him to wear a robe and be covered in fake blood from head to toe. And he says he had to lay down in the dirt and play dead for several hours enduring ants and mosquitoes. I'm telling you, I started my career in Hollywood as an extras casting director. And I would, I was also an extra in a lot of movies and TV shows because you'd make really good money, but they're always the background people. They're always the people you're like, Hey, I just see that same guy passing back and forth in the camera. That's an extra. Well, this extra had to be covered in blood and then lay down in dirt for hours, which at the end of the day, that's pretty good. Like just being able to lay down at your job. Um, but Mia who plays Maxine, who was supposed to run past the actor stepped over him and looked at him and then kept running. But after a few takes, the actor claims Mia nearly stepped on him, nearly stepped on him. He says Mia was warned to be careful, but instead he claims she intentionally kicked him in the head with her boot on the following take causing serious pain and neck stiffness. He says doctors later told him he suffered a concussion. He claims no medical assistance was provided on set. Instead, he says Mia approached him in the bathroom and taunted, mocked, and belittled him, daring them to do anything about what went down. What's more, he says the fake blood had stuck to his body, so peeling off the blood-stained robe caused more pain, and he claims he experienced headaches on the drive home and nearly passed out twice during... Pull over your car, then! As if that wasn't enough, the actor says he was taken off the production following the incident. He's now suing for at least $500,000 in damages for battery and wrongful termination. Uh, Maya's team has had no comment yet, but that is wild. And that who knows? Like actors are a surly bunch. They're really feeling it. They're in the scene. Who knows if this is even true? But also an extra, you know, when you're working as an extra on a movie or TV, it's not glamorous. None of this is glamorous as everybody thinks it is. It's lit. I mean, I think that's just a metaphor for it. It's literally laying down in ants. That's what it feels like to be an extra. So this guy kind of nailed it. But the fact that, you know, oh, God, I mean, this is over like a year ago, a way over a year ago. But five hundred thousand dollars, like I said, we are a litigious culture. So we will we'll keep an eye on that story. Um, <laughs> oh, OK, this is actually interesting. And it kind of ties into what to watch for this week. Okay, this is what to watch this week. Now, you're hearing this on Tuesday. So Monday already happened, below deck, done for the season. Um, and then on tonight, we had the season premiere of the new The Bachelor. The Bachelor, Joey Graziani. I, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly ever. He is The Bachelor this season. Now, there was massive success on The Golden Bachelor, 
And I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see if audiences can kind of shift gears and go back to the way The Bachelor has always been. And that's kind of a lot of hot 20 somethings looking to get uh, looking to be Insta famous and looking to sell tummy tea on their Instagrams. And I don't really I don't find a lot of excitement and joy in that. I'm going to try the first episode, see how I like it. I don't know if you guys are big Bachelor heads, Bachelor Nation. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see what it's going to be like. So that was tonight. And then, like I said, tonight we have the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City finale. That's going to be exciting. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To see where we go with that. And then Wednesday, of course, on Bravo, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and Real Housewives of Miami. Those are both bangers. Southern Charm is unfortunately over for the season. So we mourn the loss of Southern Charm. But this is actually interesting. On Wednesday this week on Netflix, we have season eight of Queer Eye. Queer Eye, uh, you know, those guys have grown to be loved by so many people. I mean, I remember the day when Queer Eye was Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and it started on Bravo. And I just thought it was the most amazing concept. Loved all those dudes. Uh, they've all grown, you know, they've all gone on to kind of do their own thing and be successful. And then Netflix was able to reboot it with these new gentlemen, uh, the Fab Five. And it was really successful once again. Now they return to New Orleans where they will help make over the lives of a coach and teacher to deaf students, as well as an outdoorsman looking to reignite the passion in his marriage. Now, this will also be the last season for one of the Fab Five, Bobby Burke. And there's been a lot of rumors, rumors as Meredith Marks likes to say about him not getting along with his cast members. Now, also on Netflix on Thursday, you have Griselda. Now, Griselda is not a Disney film. Uh, you know, <laughs> Griselda, remind, like, is, Griselda reminds me, like this, the name reminds me of a Disney villain, kind of a villain, but in a way different way. It's a six episode limited series. Um, and Griselda is portrayed by Sofia Vergara, and this is based on a true story, uh, depicts the life of Griselda Blanco, who created one of the most profitable cartels in history in 70s and 80s Miami. Blanco's lethal blend of unsuspected savagery and charm helped her navigate between business and family, leading her to become widely known as the 
godmother. Now, Sofia Vergara, usually known for comedic roles, is portraying Griselda. And the big thing to watch on this one is she has a big old fake old prosthetic nose to make it not like Sofia Vergara, the beautiful Sofia Vergara. And I'm just going to watch this because I want to see how that nose acts. You know, when somebody has a big old fake prosthetic nose, I always I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. I want to see what that nose acts like. That's amazing. Um, Okay, and then on Friday, you have Masters of the Air on Apple TV. Now, this is interesting because the cast is stacked. You've got Austin Butler, you got Barry Keoghan, and it's produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Now, this is based on Donald L. Miller's book of the same name and follows the men of the 100th Bomb Group as they conduct dangerous bombing raids over Nazi Germany amid strenuous conditions. I swear to God, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, they are obsessed with this period of time in American history. And they've made so many amazing films about this, but this will be on Apple TV. Uh, It's always interesting to see what they do. And Barry Keoghan and Austin Butler are both amazing actors. So, you know, if you guys don't think this sounds good, maybe tell your husband or your boyfriend or your love, maybe they'll dig it. Maybe tell your dad, maybe tell your grandpa, somebody, this has got to be for somebody. And then you go into prime video on Friday and you've got a new show, another six part limited series called expats. And this is big because it stars Nicole Kidman, Nicole Kidman. Listen, one of the busiest working actors in Hollywood. And what's so interesting about her is she will seamlessly shift from movies to TV. And they're always like six or eight part streaming series. Uh, you know, you got the big little lies, of course. And then she did the Hulu uh, series. I'm forgetting that name. And now expats, the series focuses on three women as they navigate the aftermath of a family tragedy. Okay. Specific. All right. Um, you also have the movie junction, uh, Brian Greenberg wrote and directed this film about the opioid crisis. You will be hearing Brian Greenberg on the podcast this week. He's amazing. This movie was actually really, really well done. It's his first directorial day, you know, effort. And I thought he was really, really, it's a very powerful movie. And then Saturday, we have Saturday Night Live once again. And this week you have the host, Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson is um, promoting the new movie, Madam Web, which is kind of like a Spider-Man spinoff. Uh I don't know. It has one of the worst trailers I've ever seen. Um, If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, So Dakota Johnson stars in this. She's going to be hosting SNL this week. And the musical guest is Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. And we need to have a talk about Justin Timberlake. We need to have an ongoing talk about Justin Timberlake. Where is everybody at with Justin Timberlake? If you were online at all, if you were on social media, Justin Timberlake is is bad news because of how he's treated uh, Britney Spears or Janet Jackson. You know, he's got a really bad reputation in terms of how he's handled some personal business throughout his career, but also has made some of the most amazing music in terms of pop with NSYNC and obviously his solo career. Um, so he is going to be the musical guest and it is leading up to his new album. Um, and he unveiled his new song. His new single is going to be called selfish and his new album is called everything I thought it was. And it's going to be interesting. This is his first album since 2018's man of the woods. This will be, you know, his Saturday night live performance is really, you know, they just announced this. So he is on SNL immediately. 
Um, but uh, here are some of the lyrics in this silly smooth R&B tra- track. Uh, so if I get jealous, I can't help it. If I want every bit of you, I guess I'm selfish. It's bad for my mental, but I can't fight it. So that's a little taste of the lyrics from Selfish. Um, also on Friday night, Timberlake unveiled a trailer for his sixth album. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the album trailer has a sort of like Wes Anderson asteroid city vibe about it with a model car driving towards a desert gas station. It also has an A-list narrator, uh, Benicio Del Toro. And Del De Toro says at the video open, what do we have here? Oh, that's a nice car. Wait, it's a model? Did that say JT? Okay, that sunset is definitely not real. Oh, there's Justin. Why won't he turn around? What the F is he staring at? This is literally what Benicio Del Toro is saying in this <laughs> preview. I don't know. But the thing is, are we ready? Are we willing to forgive Justin Timberlake? Are we wanting new music from Justin Timberlake? A lot of people, I think, obviously would say yes, but a lot of people would say no. And I find that so interesting in terms of the career of a pop star, of somebody that's always been successful. Now, Britney Spears, obviously, we saw her struggles. And in her beautiful memoir, she speaks about Justin. She speaks about their relationship. She speaks about you know, uh, making the choice to get rid of the baby, um, you know, that they got pregnant together and having to make that difficult choice, um, and of not having the baby. And it's interesting to see where people will be, you know, where people will stand with Justin Timberlake, if they will stand with Justin Timberlake. And, you know, my thought is if this is good music, if it's good music, everything will work out for Justin. But if it's bad, if this album is bad, even though Timbaland is on this album and they've made amazing, you know, pop music before, you know, then it's, you know, not going to be good for Justin. I'm just curious, though. This is one to watch. This is a, a person and a story to watch because it's interesting to see pop culture audiences catch up to something. And this guy was kind of like the king for a lot of times in terms of male pop artists. And also, what is the shelf life of a male pop star in the year of 2024? Can he be successful? Can he be as successful? He's always a name. At this point, he will be a name for the rest of his life, for the rest of his career. But is he going to be able to top the charts? Is he going to be able to even come close? Have we gotten so far past the Justin Timberlakes in music? And, you know, people have moved on to K-pop groups. People have moved on. Is there still a place for Justin Timberlake? And... In terms of fixing Justin Timberlake's career, what would you do? How would you approach this? If you feel like a good portion of the population feel like he has damaged people like Britney Spears and Janet Jackson, how would he be able to gain your forgiveness? How would you be able to turn your negative thoughts off about Justin Timberlake and just enjoy his music? Is that a possibility anymore? And this is why I think it's fascinating to watch just from actual studying pop culture. Uh, I'm curious what to hear. Curious what you guys think about this. So let me know. You can always email me, email me at so bad. It's good with Ryan Bailey at gmail.com. Sandra actually is in control of my email now, which is very good because I'm so not organized. So uh, she'll let me know if anybody reaches out about this, but that I wanted to end our little pop culture extravaganza today with that story and now move on to somebody that you should all know. And if you don't, you're going to hear a little bit today, but just know that this conversation could have gone on for hours. I only had 45 minutes with her and that's just not enough time for how amazing she is and how amazing her book is. 
I'm telling you, you need to get a copy of this book. The book, once again, is called One in a Millennial on Friendship, Feelings, Fangirls, and Fitting In. The author, of course, Kate Kennedy from the podcast, Be There in Five. And I just think she is just everything that's good about pop culture and everything. You know, there's a there's a feeling of home you have when you listen to Kate or when you read her work. And I know this will not be her last book. I think there will be many more to come from her. So please go support. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, so here she is, the one, the only. Kate Kennedy. Folks, welcome back to So Bad It's Good, presented by Betches Media. Today, I have one of my heroes, one of now, I guess, my colleagues, I can say in a certain way. Uh, everything that she has done with her career has blown me away step by step, and I just am blown away by her as a person, and now I'm blown away by her as an author. Now, this interview, this is for all the Beths out there. Our guest today, she is one of the Shell's <laughs> angels. She's passed the Bledel test. Her AIM screen name was Crazy and Cool. She thinks pop culture as a unifier like I do. She had popular girl handwriting. She was someone who loves to feel the rain on their skin. She was voted most Christ-like at water skiing. Someone who loves a good bed soup and a great day bed. And someone who is okay with being 12th place, even though that we know she is in the top three. A person who realizes the best Bath and Body Works scent is Cucumber Melant. Uh, American Girl Catalog. She loves to live, laugh, love. Someone who shops at the Limited 2 but is not limited to anything at this point anymore after the release of her new book, One in a Millennial. It comes out January 23rd. And if I can do anything, this interview is that you can go over to Amazon or your local bookstore and you order this right now because this is something you want on your coffee table. You're going to want to read this. I swear to God. And one of the the worst parts of this is, well, we'll talk about this. But anyways, regardless, I'm so excited. Kate Kennedy, welcome to the show. Oh my God, Ryan. You are so kind. You actually read the book. Like most people absolutely do not. You're a gem. And thank you for that lovely introduction. I know we ha have mutually shared the desire to uh, bring pop culture conversations into the mainstream in a way that's analytic and nostalgic and fun. And you're the best. Ryan, that introduction, I need you to send it to me in writing so I can better pitch myself. That was so <laughs> kind. And and thank you, for the love of God, thank you for reading the book. That means a lot to me. And thanks for having well, me. Kate, not only did I read the book, I listened to the audio book as I read the book. And you should see, like, I've made so many notations in this book. I'm going to continue to look through this book because it is a treasure trove of not only your life, but about how you derive meaning from these things that sometimes we're meant to feel ashamed by. And like you always say, you know, there is a lean in aspect to everything that you do that I love so much. Yeah. You know, in, in like recent years, I feel like there's been more dialogue about how pop cultural interests should be perceived as just as valid as anything considered sophisticated. But when we were growing up, a lot of things associated with like mass culture were coded as like rot your brain type of activities. And when you spend all your time doing things that allegedly <laughs> rot your brain, you're, yeah, you're you're kind of made to feel like your interests aren't important. And I think that there's um, something interesting about kind of hiding and, and uh, I don't know, feeling like there was an invisibility to all this stuff I love that made my inner world really rich. And even though now we honor a lot of these things like Bravo, we didn't at the time. So part of the excavation was like, allow me to honor the things the way I would now of a younger version of myself. 
I know. And, and the thing is, I, I just, I always wonder of where do we go from here? You know, you actually make the point in the book of we are a product of the time that we were born in and raised in. And a lot of us, you know, our first introduction to a lot of popular culture was through the World Wide Web. But where do kids go today? Who are the little Kate Kennedys out there? And, wh- you know, things are coming at them so much faster than they were even for us. And I'm older than you, but I can't imagine how they're sifting through it when we were barely shaping our personas through all of this that we could get our hands on. I think about this a lot because a lot of the reason I my recall is so strong, I think is because of the longing and because of like access. I mean, I information was not as plentiful and accessible when I was growing up. So therefore I was always on a fact finding mission about like what the teenage and adult world was like. Now I don't know if I'd have that longing because I could have very easily accessed all of the answers. But I think that a lot of, it was kind of like a life of doing like R and D into what, how other people (laughs) lived because I didn't have access to that or my parents were strict about certain media. And yeah, I don't know what it looks like today. And I cannot imagine you are meaningfully retaining and digesting information at this speed, like the turnover of trends and pop culture stories right now. I forget things as quickly as I am engaged in them. I mean, I'm trying to learn new pop stars, you know, and trying to be like, okay, what's the difference between a Renee rap and what's the difference between, you know, like Sabrina Carpenter. Yeah, like exactly. You're like, well, how do I keep? I want to keep up. I want to. I want to hear what the kids are hearing. Um, but you do make this. There was a great memory in the book about, uh, and I did this as well of of uh, switching the station at the right time when your parents came in because you were trying to watch an episode of Beavis and Butthead and having it mm-hmm. at the right moment at the right time, which almost kind of trained you in later years when you were in your AIM messaging days and you had four pop up windows messaging guys and you would look at the reflection <laughs> of the the message if they responded to it or not and you would see it in the television screen I think. <laughs> yes, there that those are kind of the details I like I want to take people back to not only the iconography itself but the behavior surrounding its consumption and I think that there were a lot of funny habits developed in the process of trying to watch TV I wasn't allowed to watch or the rituals around what was our version of texting or social media which was aim and the anxiety of like a door closing on a buddy list being comparable (laughs) to somebody left like leaving you on red. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, really, yeah, because you do compare that later on to like dating apps and what people actually must go through. Um, But it is this kind of wonderful walk through your memory lane, but in a way you make, you help us understand us better. And I want to say to the audience is that I'm not ignorant to the fact that I am a male. Uh, (laughs) And I'm also, I want to point out that if you are a man, I think there is such great uh, there's su- this is would still be such a great weed read. My audience is primarily female, but I got to tell you, this made me feel proud to be a pop culture lover. It made me proud to know the women I do in my life, and and it actually helps me understand them a little bit better, even at this old age. When you went into writing this book. And you had such an interesting career path where you almost found yourself in corporate uh, in the corporate world of like an actual job and structure. But then you kind of fell down almost a uh, not a rabbit hole, but this thing of making these doormats to remind you if your curling iron was on and that went viral. And then that led to your podcast, Be There in Five (laughs) and this whole other thing that we 
and you do this very honestly in the book of like, listen, everybody tells you to follow your dreams, bet on yourself, but you actually have one of the most honest portrayals of what that actually entails and how much money you had starting out and all of that stuff. But what possessed you to actually put pen to paper for this? Okay, well, two things. First, I want to address to your audience that I think it's incredible how supportive you are of this book and how much of a champion you are of women's interests. And we just love you for being like a reverse Matt Rife. Like you, you celebrate your audience. You don't actively. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. Them. I can't afford chin <laughs> transplants, Kate. I can't afford a chin transplant. No, that's a. It's a rumor. That's not true. <laughs> Can I tell you that I had a consultation with that doctor who spread that rumor, and uh, I all I wanted was just just an estimate for some light chin lipo. But came it was a FaceTime. I came away with uh, being told I needed a chin implant chin lipo and buckle fat removal to the tune of $13,000 and that he could do the <laughs> surgery as soon as the next day. From FaceTime. You guys, I'm on the way over to your place right now. I've got my tools. From FaceTime. I'm like this. Okay, anyways, he, he's, he's an interesting guy. Um, but yeah, putting, okay. So I really wanted to, um, Part of what inspired this was feeling like a lot of the literature surrounding millennials was so comedically unfavorable. And at every turn, the headlines are about us disrupting major industries or economic sectors. We killed paper napkins. We killed the American dream. We killed the diamond. And like it, it just became <laughs> clickbait and fodder. And yeah. I think there's something really funny about how millennials were given such an unfavorable edit, whether it's lazy, entitled, basement dwelling, and then made fun of in headlines for all the things we killed and not our circumstances that define why we killed those things. But then we get into the 2020s and we become the laughing stock of Gen Z. And like, no, no matter what, it's just, it's millennials a tough edit. And I just was thinking a lot about how there's an intersection of, you know, being a woman and feeling like I needed to cater my interests to my audience so they wouldn't be conflated with my intelligence, but also even just being a millennial and feeling like we're more defined by stereotypes than like actual experiences. And the things that rep that make us distinct aren't really that we like, you know, are having, aren't really that like we are lazy and entitled or that we're job hoppers. It's more like, no, we were the first ones to, you know, have and thus define what it meant to curate an online persona. Like we rode the wave of like 12, you know, seismic technological shifts while trying to figure out our own identities, like things like AIM and WWJT, WWJD, like culture and, yeah. you know, wanting to be popular instead of unique and uh, the, you know, sleepovers. And I, I think that there are things that are unique about our generation that are much more important and meaningful and transcend those stereotypes. And part of, that was part of the exercise of just wanting to help a generation of people that feel maligned, feel understood for their memories, not their shortcomings. Yeah. You have a great line in the book. I am a real life person who is able to come to life virtually. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to act. I mean, like you, you laugh, but I thought I was like, God, that's it. Like sometimes I am so uncomfortable in my own skin and a lot of us are, and we've found these places to have our voices or to share something about ourselves. And sometimes it comes from something online or hiding behind a mic sometimes late at night, putting your thoughts out into the, the, the ether and stuff. But I just thought that was such a great line. Um, also, can you explain to the audience your thoughts about um, daybed culture, what that meant mm. to you, and also the pre-party <laughs> before the party and how those <laughs> things shaped you and almost made more memories for you than the actual party themselves. 
Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to pick like icons that I feel like aren't talked about as much in terms of like a nostalgic cliche. Like we all know we loved like inflatable furniture, but like where I spent most <laughs> of my time was like these these twin beds masquerading as uncomfortable couches that have a, a back support of like an outdoor gate. And it, they come with trundle beds, which is like, for me, was the guest room of childhood. It was a very cool feature. And I don't, and day beds still exist, mind you. But um, <laughs> I felt like, I don't know, so much of life happened in and on day beds and trundle beds when I would be at sleepovers with friends who were on a similar fact-finding mission to understand themselves in the world. And we would just talk until the sun rose. And um I think daybeds are just funny because it's something that does two jobs at like neither well. Um, so it's yeah, you never wanted to, you bed. never, you never wanted to sleep on the daybed. That was your time to explore was on the daybed. Right, right. It's like better than the Papazon chair at your friend's house, <laughs> but like still not ideal. And then with the chapter, are we going out or going out, out? Um, the chapters, uh, Back in the day bed and that chapter out or out out where one talks about sleepovers and one talks about pregames, they're kind of meant to connect in terms of how female bonding rituals shape shift over time. And there was something so contagious and electric about the atmosphere when we were getting ready to go out at a very vulnerable and uncertain age where we many of us were chasing male validation. I wanted my core adjectives to be hot and fun. You know, I, I was... I, I was very much a part of the mid-aughts culture where I just was problematically chasing diet culture and following these celebrities that were being exploited for their beauty and bodies and paired with, um, I don't know, kind of a hookup culture in this Tucker Max fratty era where <laughs> I was uncomfortable going out and interacting with boys. And I just think there was something so helpful and hopeful about the time before we went out in the environment we could control before we saw the rest of the world where all we would do is build each other up and tell each other we look so hot and we would take pictures and we would have drinks. And it's just so interesting to me that those pregames in hindsight were the prequel to some better event, but those are the things that I yeah. remember the most. And, um, you get to focus on each other in those times. And I thought it was interesting you talking about meeting up with your friends in Vegas and the, the most, uh, the thing that you decided to do was stay in, you know, that was actually the, the most exciting thing to do was stay in. And you had this great line of, it's funny how old friends remind you of who you are, even though you don't identify with who you are back then anymore. And I was like, that's mm -hmm. it. Exactly. It's like, they remind us of who they are, who we are, but we weren't even really ourselves back then. And I thought there was something yeah. so mind blowing about that. I, I think that like, there's such something so beautiful about the friendships created during very vulnerable times in your life when you need the support the most. And I think that I was kind of trying to tie it to, you know, in the how like watching Housewives, for example, how it's almost comedic when how every single scene they hug, they air kiss, and then they incessantly compliment each other's outfit yeah. to a point where it's like, oh my God, can we move on? It's like, and and it's, it's maybe fake. It's maybe obligatory, but I don't think it matters. I think the ways we build each other up and support each other when we've put an effort to our appearance are really kind gestures that 
the thing I love about women that we do, and I don't really care if you mean it or not. And I think that when I wasn't feeling, when I was feeling rejected, um, I needed that kind of support by being like, oh my God, you look so hot. He is going to curse the day he left. You know what I mean? Just- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's the people screaming to Kelly Clarkson, since you've been gone, I can exactly. breathe for the first time. You know, also, uh, I, I do think it's interesting. You brought up Real Housewives. You wrote at the end of the book, it's Real Housewives. The best parts never drive the plot. The art happens outside of the main arc. And I thought that's so true of life. But also the one pushback I would have is after this week's Salt Lake City finale, which you said, you know, like I felt like this, you know, there were actual, you know, plot points driving this plot. And the art was actually the plot point in this instance. Really quickly, if I could just get your I mean, I don't even know if you could have quick thoughts on this. But since we're talking about Housewives, what did you think about the finale and Monica and the Heather of it all? It was like a, a game of who done it all of a sudden. I I had goosebumps. I was floored. I rewound. I it was some of the most riveting live television I've seen in years. It was yeah. outstanding. And even with like the spoilers and leaks, I it still had like twists and turns and like, oh my God, the the footage in Meredith Mark's store and yeah, the black the editors came and, to uh, life. Like the editors even got involved in the art. It was like top to bottom, like a piece of art. And it, this thing said in passing were better than entire seasons of like other franchises when nothing's going on. Like the, yeah. the black eye or the, the security cam footage like was not even worth exploring for they're just like move right on and there's just there are endless things you could excavate about the episode but salt lake is one of my favorite franchises i have a weird fascination with salt lake and the culture of mormonism as you know if you listen to my podcast and i think that what was really artfully done is that sometimes the most grating awful uh seasons of housewives come after the fame happens and they become like self-referential and it's about being on camera. It's about filming. The arguments are about, it's like not fun fourth wall stuff, but this was a really interesting example of like, yeah, the art happening in the main arc and the art imitating the art because it was like a fan infiltrated the inner circle. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, by the way, it's like so many of us memers out there are like, this could be us. If we really, if we really get weird enough, we could wind up on one of these shows and and be yes. unmasked in a final episode. And I'm still just, I'm like I said, I'm blown away by that information of finally admitting that Jen Shaw gave Heather the black eye. I'm like, wait, nobody's wait, we're just gonna keep going? Like there's like we're not gonna have a referee whistle and review the play because that to me was mind-blowing to finally get that information that we all secretly knew, but to have it said out loud was I cannot wait to see the reunions. Okay, can I tell you something that I'm I'm interested to see to hear what happens behind the black eye because I hosted a panel for Heather's book. I saw that yeah. last February and it was before Bermuda before she found out about Monica whatever. And she told me I could ask her anything. And I did ask about the black eye. And we were having like a very candid interpersonal discussion backstage and she was like so she's one of the, my favorite Bravo celebrity Bravo Bravo celebrities I've ever met. She was an absolute delight. And she told me that like she honest to god blacked out. Like and that was like a source of kind of shame and embarrassment having been in a person that like recently left The church and like the thing that would really excite a member of the church still is proof that when you do things like start to drink, your life spirals out of control. And that's interesting to me because I 
think I feel like there's something to that of where that is maybe true. But like later on, they rolled the tapes, finally showed her the footage and Jen had something to do with it that she didn't realize. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. So, like, I actually don't think she fully lied in that moment. I think it was a combination of a blackout and something production captured and uh, they couldn't use. I need a three-part ID discovery documentary about this black eye thing now. Like, I feel like we could really hone in like we tend to do in pop culture now is like make that moment into some kind of three-part docu-series. Um, but speaking about organized religion, you actually talk about when you were a kid uh, being in, uh, you had a religious phase or you were talking about purity culture. Mm-hmm. And I think what was interesting about this is the thing that started to pull you away from it was you didn't want to get up uh, too early. It was too early because they had like, what was it? A, t- a touch the pole ritual or something? See you at the pole. See you at yes. the pole. What is see you at the pole? Well, you know, in, in the, in some of the evangelical youth group worlds, there's this real like persecution complex where they want you to like publicly witness for Christ. And it is a fascinating thing, you know, in the United States of America, where, you know, 90% of Congress identifies as Christian, uh, alleging that you'll be persecuted for telling your peers you're also a Christian. Um, so, <laughs> it, but it was kind of a fascinating thing where you were supposed to go to the poll first thing in the morning. And like, I think you prayed. And it, as everybody was like walking to school, they would like see you publicly displaying your witnessing your commitment to Christ. So, and, you know, but- um, for me, it, yeah, it was it was the early wake up. It, it was there were a lot of things contributing to my uh, wanting to not be a part of kind of more, you know, close minded, restrictive circles that were telling me how to live when I was still trying to meet myself. But I drew the line at having to wake up early. Um, and it was just kind of the um, a, a, a funny moment I remember of being like all this time spent trying to like save my soul. But then like. I just couldn't get out of bed. Yeah, I love the Oprah, you know, it's like, you know, these, these big dramatic moments in our head of like breaking free from these ties that bind us. But sometimes it is, can be as simple as the stirring in your soul, but also just not wanting to wake up that early. It's, it's, I need, I need better sleep. I thought that was such an interesting moment. I think there's something that is part of growing up where your entire, all your behavior, your identity, it's all the function, all the function of what people tell you to do, what people tell you is right. And the older you get and you start to reconcile with how you actually feel, you slowly do things in your own best interest. And it, it's incredibly <laughs> empowering in the smallest of ways. And I think feeling so controlled by um, this environment that had so many opinions about what you wore and how you spoke and how you approached relationships and whatever it was kind of like a, yeah, a, a light bulb moment for me when my mom turned on the lamp at 7 a.m. And I was like, oh, I don't have to go. I don't have to agree with this. I don't have to subscribe. Like, it's it's almost as silly as it sounds. It it takes growing up to find your own autonomy yeah. in that way and realize just because you're told to do it doesn't make it right for you. 
Isn't it funny how it takes us a lifetime of learning to be ourselves? And some of us don't even really get there, Yes, you know, but it's like every yes. year it's like learning these things of like, oh my gosh, that's so simple, but it just, it didn't, it didn't take uh, flight in my head at all. And that's, there were so many moments in your books where I was just like, in your book where I was just kind of blown away by that notion and how you to this day are still discovering yourself year after year. You're somebody that I imagine, and you talk about, you know, doing some of your best work on the floor, or sitting there dreaming, but also realizing that when we were kids, we had this unabashed free time between Friday and Sunday, this 36 to 48 hour period where we could find out who we are and we could deep dive these mysteries of pop culture that we could get our hands on. But as we grow older, we don't have that time anymore. It's even harder, like you point out, to make friends. How do how do you stay daydreaming as an adult? I know. And and truly I think that uh one of the greatest privileges I could have been given having uh my you know with my parents giving me a great childhood is that it, it gave me the mental real estate to explore and to dream and to not worry about things that I wasn't ready for. And I, that's something I'm genuinely nostalgic for is just having time to kill. <laughs> and I, I, and I think that that's why probably you and I love our job so much is because we were able to cr- carve out, uh, an occupation that still allows us that space for exploration and I think that what the what I love about content like yours is that it provides people a way to do that without their own cognitive labor. Like I'll do <laughs> yes, the exploring yeah. for you if you'll listen yeah, yeah, to yeah. me talk. <laughs> oh my god! Also, like that was the the best thing in the world was having you come on. So I had a read like I was forced to read this book because like I you know it's like the I had seen this book now I heard about this book for like a year or something and I was like ah that would be right that's my jam that's my jam and then to have it be like okay here's the interview date here's the book I was like. Yes, because my mind left to its own devices will sit and stare at the wall and think about the Twilight franchise and things like that. (laughs) But like, you know, it's like and then it's like you're on this kind of beautiful vacation in your mind that you can like pick pieces apart, add your own story to it, learn more about yourself. And I was like, this is just this is heaven, you guys. Like it's a different version of like a Chuck Klosterman. It's a different version of all like there's so many things that I just truly love about this book. And I also want to give a shout out to the audio book, which Kate reads. And I don't want to embarrass you at all, but there are a couple moments when um, you can tell the emotion in Kate's voice, and it got me. Like it got there was a time when she had met her husband, uh, and I started. I'll tear up right now thinking about it. I just love when I can hear how much it means to somebody, and I'll listen to a lot of audio books, and I sometimes think that is one of the things that I dislike. Is sometimes I can't tell if they feel something about what they're reading or not. And I know this is your own life, but it, I thought that was so beautiful. Was there any? Uh, was there any pause in leaving that kind of stuff in the audiobook version of this? Honestly, the reason I left it was because of Jessica Simpson's audiobook. Um, it w- I don't know if you listened to her I did, her memoir. open book. Yes, I did. Yes. I thought it was really beautiful and powerful that she spoke with such conviction at times, such emotion at times, and that I don't know. I felt like she prioritized being a person over being a narrator and it just stuck with me. And so what going into the audiobook recording, I was like, I'm just, I hadn't read the book in a long time. And I was like, I'm just going to like, let myself feel feelings. And beyond that, I recorded the audiobook days before I gave birth. I was heavily, heavily pregnant. And the book is written very much from a childless version of me 
and toward the end, I kind of come to my own conclusion about this book being a weird, having a weird secondary function of an exploration of my own identity, because as a 35 year old woman, um, you have a lot of thoughts when you hit your, you know, fertility cliff, as they call it, and you're not sure what your next steps are. And, you know, you kind of hear everybody around you say they forget their life before they had kids or that, you know, their kid taught them nothing else matters. And I was kind of like, well, what if I want all this to matter? This book was kind of like my, uh, as I like to say, my, you know, verbal mansplaining of all the things I always (laughs) wished I could identify with. Um, or man spreading rather of, of <laughs> all the things I wished I could identify with, but uh, never felt like it was appropriate. And then only to be at the age where I felt like most defined um, by if I was going to become a mom or not. And anyway, it, it was very emotional for me to read my words written from such a different place and to know I was like about to give birth and my life was going to completely change. And it was very poetic to me to get it all out there about who I was and the things I wanted to celebrate um, before my life was about to become who I was to somebody else, their mom. Yeah. And this was just me. Yeah. And, and spoiler alert, you guys, if you follow Kate, you already know, uh, she, she does have a baby. She, she is a mother now and she did write this book and has one of the best addendums that I've ever read in a book ever. Uh, it was at the very end when you reveal, and and I love it that you were writing or two weeks before the due date of this book and you didn't even realize you were with child. And I thought that was so amazing Mm -hmm. because we go through a very personal journey in the book about, you know, your pregnancy journey and, and all of these thoughts that you're having. There was one thing that stuck out to me was I think you were at like a, a wedding reception or something and you were waiting for one of those like drinks with like 12 ingredients in oh, it that takes too long. Yeah, signature can cocktail. Yeah, signature cocktail. Signature cocktails when there's a long line are simply inefficient and we really need to resist. <laughs> but it gave you the time to talk to this lady who had a child and you were like, it was, it was very interesting. And I think in retrospect, what was interesting hearing you talk about that lady of like, you know, stopping and thinking about what she was going through about how hard her life must have been at that moment. And then listening to you speak about whether or not you potentially would, would want to have a child or not. And I thought that was such an interesting thought about life, how we're all on these different journeys and we kind of try to have to meet each other where we're at. And we don't have a lot of empathy anymore in this world. So I found that such an interesting moment of you actually being cognizant of potentially what this lady was going through talking to you about your journey. I think that's part of the um, theme of um, friendship and female bonding and how, you know, when we're sleepover age or when we were pregame age, we were in very similar life phases and could deeply relate to one another. But the weird thing about womanhood is how your choices and chances really fragment your lived experiences in ways that when you're trying to understand what somebody else is going through, it often sounds like commentary on their decisions. And when I, you know, when trying to figure out if I wanted kids or not, the way people would talk to me about it, it all, I would feel like they were criticizing me, but now I see that like they were going through some stuff themselves that they couldn't really understand. And I think that, yeah, that anecdote was about this person that in hindsight, I'm like, I think she was really struggling to feel as fulfilled by motherhood as she had always hoped. And in kind of nagging me about if I wanted kids or not, and who will take care of me when I'm older and all these (laughs) things, she was kind of, um, 
kind of going through all of her reasons she had kids. And uh, I think that we were just, I don't know. It's interesting to think of how often those conversations are had where both people leave kind of feeling off put by the other. When I think that the, 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 the thing the thing we share is that life often is a disconnect from our expectations. And just as I might have thought I would have kids by then, she might have thought motherhood would f- fulfill her in ways that she had always hoped by then. And really what we're both navigating is that life is not as simple and formulaic as we thought. And there might be more in store for us than wife and mother. Exactly. And life isn't as simple as watching Full House on Friday nights, you know, of being able to watch or or snick on Saturdays and, you know, these kind of 22 minute uh, consumer little bubbles to push soap. You know, life is actually a little sloppier, a little dirtier. And only in retrospect are we sometimes able to actually think about what these moments made. But in the moment, they can seem off putting, but they'll stick with you. And I think that sometimes is exciting. And I I really I know it's a small part of the book, but that stood out to me. Um, Also, Kate, uh, could you tell the listeners, what is your definition of cool and what is your definition of popular? Oh, you know, it's funny, right? I got to read this book. Um, <laughs> you're like, you're like, by the way, Kate, if I, if I haven't sold you a copy of your own book by now, I do not, I, I do, I'm doing something wrong. Um, I'm sure you can relate it as a person that creates for a living. I'm, a, I'm so heavily critical of my work. I did not read this book any more than I absolutely had to because then you start to cut things and go crazy and second guess. And <laughs> anyway, so I, yeah, it's hard for me to read it because sometimes I'm like, oh my God, there's so much I would change. But okay, th- okay, that's from, oh yeah, the popular girl handwriting chapter. I think this is an important distinction because in pop culture, popularity was positioned as kind of the mean girl, the rich girl, the sexually active girl, the party animal. In real life, popularity, um, there's two kinds of popularity, status-based popularity of things that, like things that give you status versus things that make you likable and have a lot of friends. Like popular can mean you literally have a big network because you have such strong social skills and everybody really likes you. Or popular can mean you possess certain status symbols that people find desirable, not that, you know, you yourself are like friendly or whatever. Yeah. So I think that, media portrayed popular girls as cool and cool means like you it it, it implies a level of admiration and popular to me implies a level of like relatability and friendliness like you're cool if you party like sex drugs rock and roll you have the cool clothes you have the biggest house you throw the parties like I think that that's kind of distinct from popular which in my school was more like involved (laughs) friendly you know class officer and I think that (laughs) that sort of popularity isn't talked about enough or represented in media where there is, it's not that popularity becomes irrelevant the older we get. It's that status symbols shapeshift over time and you can't tie your identity to them because once they're over, so is your entire self-worth. Yeah. But exercising the things that make you likable and able to relate to people is a type of popularity like we should carry through life. And it's not a shallow pursuit to want to be popular. No, I mean, not at all. I mean, that made complete sense to me. Um, also, it cracked me up, though, in researching this book, your your mom was helping out with all of these memory boxes that she had and going through the memory boxes, Kate discovered that potentially she was average at a lot of things that she, you know, that she was like, she was, you know, I, I, I really thought going into that, reading that, that it was going to be like, oh, award after award. And you're arguing against that saying, listen, I... 
I got like a participation trophy. There's something in here that mom was like, wow, over like some soccer kick or something. It was very, you were like, wow, the acceptance that I was average, but I was still so loved and still always championed and supported to do whatever I did. And I thought we don't hear that enough either. I thought that one of the working titles for that chapter was honorable mention at all. Um, because <laughs> and, then, and then Bethany ruined it. She's a reality yeah. reckoning. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think whenever I hear, you know, I think anytime you're in an unconventional career, people ask you like the key to your success, whether that's like some, a way you self-identify or not. And when I did like the doormats and, you know, the podcast and got into like the space of commentary and it was kind of unconventional, people were always like, how'd you do it? And, I, and it wasn't because of my excellence. It was because of being so average. I'm not afraid to try things because I don't expect excellence. And yeah. I, I'm just not a person that got straight A's or got awards or got acknowledged at every turn. Like I'm a person that was like allowed to get B's and allowed to quit. And I think that in being a, allowed to quit, I got to explore so many different sides of myself that were valuable. And I just wanted to like encourage people to not be like so hard on their kids about the metrics um, because there's so much value in effort over excellence. And I just really appreciate my parents for that. And I think the key to my success is, is really not having much experience with greatness. I know. I mean, like that is one of the best things I ever read because I didn't expect to read it. Like whenever I sometimes approach things that involve you, I think of excellence to a degree. I think of, like, I always tell you, I remember coming down to San Diego to watch one of your live shows. And I just saw how this audience was there and they were all such special people that loved, you know, Taylor Swift and all of these pop, you know, you could tell these were like all of they were just amazing people and you were there and it wasn't like you were like, look at me, look at me, but it was like part of this larger group. And I just remember thinking what a special time and what a special person that was able to harness this to like kind of show us that there is a place for all of us. And so me, sometimes when I'll listen to your podcast, I'll, I, I just think like, well, this person had to have gotten the greatest A's that you've ever gotten in school. Yeah. This person knows how to make uh, any kind of document that you could want to make. So it was so interesting it was so interesting to read that. I, I found that fascinating. Also, I wanted to mention before, uh, as we start winding down here, um, you know, you do, you're very honest also about mental health. And I thought mm -hmm. you were very open about your own mental health and also something that always, I talk about it a lot on the show, but you kind of explain it perfectly of, you know, you, you can, you know, you sometimes the, the feel good moments, but sometimes you can appreciate those feel good moments and you love those, but sometimes you don't feel good. And I thought it was such an right. easy way, simple way to put that, which is so meaningful to me. Is It's like, yeah, I love good memories and good moments, but sometimes I just don't feel good. Yeah, I think that when I, um, if I wanted to analyze my interest in nostalgia, um, I think part of it is that I do have trouble holding on to good feelings in the moment. And sometimes I'm able to really value things in hindsight that I wish I could have been more present for. And in, in recounting a lot of this book, it was interesting because I didn't even know that I had a propensity for depression until I was like deep in my 20s. I, I didn't know that there were signs of like my melancholic disposition throughout my 
entire life. And I think a big theme of this book is like, because I skew a bit sad, a lot of times my company was the media I was consuming when I was going through something. And it kind of scored my existence and kept me afloat. And uh, I don't think I really realized that role of pop culture in my life until I was writing about it um, and like kind of the companionship it provided. And uh, yeah, beyond that, I think that the pop culture we grew up with about mental health was really extreme and undignified from girl interrupted to a beautiful mind. It, it depicted mental health issues in a way that did, didn't really um, show the spectrum of it. And I think a big problem with not having more discourse about mental health, you know, as millennials, when we grew up like Gen Z has now, is that I wasn't really taught to distinguish butterflies from an anxiety disorder, you know, normal nervousness or normal sad feelings <laughs> from something clinically wrong. Yeah. Um, I thought, well, if I had mental health issues, I'd be institutionalized and yeah. I didn't take it seriously. And then what that does is make you read too much self-help and then blame yourself for all your problems when sometimes it's really not your fault. And it's not fair to uh, suggest that people are depressed because they're not trying hard enough. And I think that realization of like this, even though I have a good life and I have no reason to be sad, um, it's OK that I am and I still deserve to you know, get help and work through it and not beat myself up that I can't just be happier. Oh, it blew my mind when I found out you, you can actually do things about this or you can actually take something to potentially <laughs> help certain receptors in your brain that you were born with. Like I, I, I always just thought, oh, luck of the draw, right? Like, like this is, and, and you point right. out, and this is, I used to sit in my room and listen to The Blower's Daughter by Damien Rice over and over and over. <laughs> I mean, that would, that Anna begins by counting crow. Like I have a sad bastard playlist. I mean, you brought up even the Garden State soundtrack in this book and there's some really good sad ones on there as well. But it was just one of those, things that I was so used to feeling blue that I thought mm -hmm. that was one of the only feelings that I was good at, you know? In the art you consume, like you have this dynamic inner world nobody knows about and you listen to stuff like Damien Rice because it makes you feel understood. And, and looking back, it's a comedic level of intensity and drama for like, <laughs> you know, being friend zoned or something, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's why these things are so important. And I love that you brought up Damien Rice because I think it's like that and like Cannonball is just the perfect example of like <laughs> the internal drama being so real to you that you're effectively scoring the soundtrack yes. to your own emotion. Yeah. Like I would do, I would have the thing where I would have the playlist to go and cry in my car to drive around and cry yes. too. Like I, it was like, it was like, no, this is what I'm going to do. Like it was like a scheduled in drive where I, and I, and if I didn't cry, if I didn't hit me in the feels, I felt like I was then doing something wrong in my own sadness. How insane is that? <laughs> That's insane. I know, <laughs> but I think that it was, it gave you permission to feel feelings that you maybe weren't expressing to the people in your immediate <laughs> yes. life. And it's like, yes. well, thank God somebody out there who's like, you know, successful, and well-respected experiences these things too, because none of my friends seem to be nearly as sad as I am. 
I it's, it's like, like, look at the breadth of emotion that I can express through my music and my personality. Um, also, uh, and also, I just thought what you uh, one of the closing chapters you bring up the Spice Girls. They didn't even pick out their own monikers. This is the first time I heard this. It was actually you discovered from a, an, an article like Top of the Pops. They actually this author gave them the the monikers of Scary Spice, Posh Spice, and I thought that was so. It weirdly brilliant in retrospect because a lot of women like yourselves or, you know, like you, you attributed girl power to them, yet they didn't even choose their own names that they were used, like people were selling them as. Yeah, th- this chapter took me an eternity to write because it's kind of a mindfuck of like the Spice Girls representing girl power and individuality through their spice and that being present and and they really had such a message of like be yourself be an individual like find your spice but those the spice names being assigned to them by a random you know copy editor at like a british it wasn't a tabloid but it, it, it they didn't even put their names it just was like look at this new band this one's sporty this one's baby this one's scary and so instead of rejecting that or feeling like defined by something that wasn't their choice, they almost took control of their own reduction (laughs) and made it into what they wanted. And I thought that that was interesting because so often there's a lot of bigger things happening that we cannot combat. And women are easily put in boxes and defined by things they maybe don't want to be defined by. But while we can't like overthrow the entire patriarchy tomorrow, maybe there's some peace in just finding acceptance and ownership and assigning whatever value to those labels you want. Yeah. Instead of obsessing Uh over their eradication. I mean, I, I thought that was such a brilliant way to like close, like close it down the book. I, 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 it was something that I didn't know before. And I was kind of blown away that I hadn't known that before. So it was really interesting to read about, and especially in, uh, in this book. Also, I want to remind it's people. Also, it's just funny. To, sorry. It's just funny that no. like for so many millennial girls, f- feminism, like their point of entry to f- feminism, I'm using air quotes, was girl power. And <laughs> The Spice Girls. And it's just like, yeah, it, it, it's utterly fascinating to me that even today we, okay, sorry, just cut that part out because I, I have a longer thought, but it would take me probably four minutes to yeah, explain. Yeah, yeah. I just noticed just the time. Mark. Got it. Marked it. Whoa, okay. time's flown, Ryan. I thought we had a lot more time. Okay. Um, so anyways, uh, I want to remind people too, if you go to Be There in Five, uh, Kate's going on the road with this book. We've got tour dates that you can go check out, Kate. You can go party, celebrate the release of this book. Uh, there's one in Anaheim that I'm going to try to go to, but I think this is a book worth purchasing, worth celebrating. I just want to tease you with one more thing that really meant something, and I think it'll mean something to you. Amidst your efforts to move the needle in this slow, painstaking process of transferring power, please go out of your way to honor your own pleasure. Like what you like, fangirl over it, shout it from the rooftops, take up space, then change your mind, stop liking it, rinse, repeat. And that was at the end of that book. I might've butchered a couple of those words, but uh, I thought it was so very powerful and really is such a great expression. Kate, you're an explorer. 
Uh, I thought this book was brilliant. Uh, I was so excited to talk to you and I hope this was good for you. And audience, I hope this actually intrigued you. If you do not know Kate, go listen to her podcast. It really truly is magical, but also more importantly, go buy this book because there's a second book in Kate, even though she probably is going to fight against it. We got to, we got to hear everything. Uh, are you still going to pr- push your, uh, your child to get into the arts and theater? Like you said in the book, <laughs> you know, what's funny is that I, uh, I, right before this, I was going through some of like the cut essays in case like I could ever write a second book. And you mentioned earlier, like you like to zone out and think about the Twilight Saga. And one of the chapters I cut is it was initially called Saved by the Bella Swan and um, <laughs> which turned into a different essay. Uh, and it's just this this insanely needlessly in- intense deep dive into like uh, how uh, how Mormonism impacted the Twilight Saga. and like women like me were convinced that a controlling 105 year old M- vampire like Edward <laughs> was somehow romantic and not oppressive. And like, it was just this, anyways, I was rereading it and, and I was just like, I don't need to ruin everything. Like I, some things we just need to hold <laughs> sacred. Like for the love of God, I named my child Edward. Like I can't put this in the book and people are like, what subliminal thing does it say that you're like dogging on Edward Cullen and named your son him? You guys, there's only one, there's only one sentence that I took umbrage with where I was like, you were like Jacob Black and Renesme, an older generation imprinting on us at our young age, their worldview. And I was like, how dare you use imprinting with Jacob and Renesme and talks of worldview? But I thought it was brilliant. Also folks, I didn't even get to talk about this, talk about men and boy bands and how they set you up for lofty ambitions in terms of your own romance because if we met people in real life that actually said the things that boy bands say in their songs it would actually be creepy i thought that was brilliant as well but we'll talk hopefully another time kate (laughs) i'm so excited for this uh the the book release and i hope this goes excellent for you you're amazing kate kennedy the book is one in a millennial go get this today and also keep checking out her podcast be there in five thank you so much kate Thank you, Ryan Billy. God, you need a TV show. You're good. Oh, this is stop. outstanding. Thank you so much for this. Oh, interview. tell Courtney I said Courtney is her Chris Jenner, you guys. Courtney it mm-hmm. works with her and she's one of the best. I mean, I've had a conversation with Courtney before, and she's truly mind blowing. You surround yourself with really good people, and uh, I take note of that. So thank you so much, Kate. Thank you, Ryan. So bad it's good is a Betches Media production. The show is hosted and produced by me, Ryan Bailey, with Meditza Lopez and Sandra Fryer. Additional support provided by Sean Kilby, Jorge morales Pico, and Rebecca Steinberg. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Video promotion by Laura Valencia. Be sure to send us your emails at SoBadIt'sGoodWithRyanBailey at gmail.com and follow the show at SoBadIt'sGoodWithRyanBailey on Instagram. And for additional craziness, go to Patreon.com forward slash SoBadIt'sGood. Stay bad, baddies. Batches.